What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Inventory with your host, Ben Kuchapudi. Tyler, your favorite point guard, Graham, and Grace. Nice to be back. Ready course, to talk little, about it's been a while this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a hiatus, been, you know, finals weeks and stuff. Finals week, technical difficulties. It's been over a month since our last episode, and a lot has happened in the world of sports, but especially in the playoffs. I mean, the whole playoffs basically flew through since we recorded. So, and in my opinion, this has been one of the best postseason I've seen in a while. A ton of upsets, a lot of surprise teams, a lot of disappointing teams. And that's kind of where I want to start today. We're going to start with the Western Conference. Guys, what's a team that disappointed you in the West? Because the West seemed a little boring this year, but there was a few teams I feel that disappointed. Uh, I mean, the natural seeding of Memphis, but I kind of saw foresaw that coming, you know, the inexperience mm-hmm. of them. You know, they have a lot of firepower, but coupled with John Morant's off the court antics and the f- general chemistry issues of the team, um, the Lakers just did what vet teams do. Old, you know, old men basketball, they just ran it down their throats, did what they had to do. Um, but it, it, I think it's more respect on the Lakers part coming out of that series, just handling business than Memphis's woes. But I think out of the Western Conference, uh, Memphis was my biggest like iffy team, icky team. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed in Phoenix. I mean, we kind of knew that they weren't, didn't have the depth to go as deep as we wanted them to. But I mean, you gave up so much to get KD at the deadline and just to get eliminated so soon was disappointing. Um, they they definitely and and then Monty getting unnecessarily fired, even though you know it's it's the roster construction is why they were failed, not because of his coaching. So their whole situation from the performance of the team to Monty being fired was disappo- disappointing to me. Yeah, that that firing made no sense. I mean, Monty literally just won Coach of the Year. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot. Was it two years ago? Yeah, I believe I, I believe the, so. the minute he got the gig, and that's how it was. What what I find fascinating is the scapegoat culture of coaches in the NBA. I, out of all the coaches being fired this postseason, which we'll get to the other two gentlemen in the Eastern Conference, I only think one somewhat deserved the the boot. Yeah, the other kind of- two, the other two were kind of like flashes in the pans. Like we have to blame someone for our our, our woes, and two guys got shafted who. Um, one is a championship coach, you know, hint, hint, Milwaukee, and the other guy is an established coach creating a very healthy offensive scheme for Phoenix. And it was like, it's, it's so weird to me. Yeah. Like, I, it's, I, I don't know. It's very dog eat dog in the NBA. It's the same thing in, in like hockey. It's like you get two years and if you're not in at least deep, deep in the playoffs or winning, you're getting fired. So it's, it, it's very it's tough. Different I, than. NFL and and baseball, you can be around for ages and never be fired. <laughs> oh yeah, you you could. I as a Cowboys fan, I know I know the tenure of Jason Garrett was you know five years too long, and it's just <laughs> yeah. that that's how it goes. I also think it's interesting some of the contract situations coming up um, regarding um, Ben. You aforementioned Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, being in the Clippers. Like what the hell they're gonna do? Um, and Chris Paul making like $40 million for Phoenix. Like, and DeAndre being under contract for a while, and KD making 50 some million in the next yeah. few years. They're in an interesting situation. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know how they're going to go forward um, with with their team because I think uh, one more year of this exact same thing going on in the playoffs. Devin Booker become disgruntled. KD being such an iffy guy now regarding just having no sense of loyalty for an organization, depending on whatever higher grandier pastures he wants to pursue. I don't know. And then obviously Kawhi Leonard like being injured every other day. It's sad because when he plays, like he was dog in Phoenix. Like yeah, he, he's still the uh, the playoff leader this entire playoffs in points per game at thirty four point five points on fifty six percent shooting. Like mm-hmm. this this guy got eliminated in the first round and he's still holding these numbers up. Which obviously sample size is small. He only played five games, but like still he didn't like play five games. He only played one or two. Yeah, so it's like you know, like it, it's wild. But like the guy the guy's awesome, and it's just sad to see him not play for the Clippers. And they're about to build this whole new venue too. So their 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 franchise history is about to take a turn for the better. You know, they're going to finally find an identity besides sharing the same locker room with the Lakers. So we'll see how it goes. I, I don't yeah. know, but yeah, the Suns and the Clippers are two teams in the West. I feel like they have to kind of win it all or at least contend for the title next year because age is one thing, money stars become disgruntled. We mentioned Devin Booker possibly being disgruntled and for the Clippers, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both have one year left on their deal. And then they have an option to opt out in 2024, which I think Paul George very well could to seek um, other ways to win a championship. But Kawhi is probably going to stay there his whole career because he left the championship team in Toronto to go to the Clippers. But Paul George is the guy that can leave the team or he can even be traded if um, the Clippers want to shake it up and they're sinking a, a little bit during the deadline. It's gonna to be tough, but um, Grace, do you have any teams that in the first round or at least you know Western Conference in general impressed you in their performances in the West? Yeah, in the West, I really liked. I really wanted Sacramento to to go further than they did. They got a tough drawing, but I thought yeah. that they they really d- were able to put up a good fight against a Golden State team that had a majority of their core intact from last year. Um, and I, I thought they performed really well and even Fox being hurt and, you know, Sabonis with his whole Draymond Green situation and stepping and they, they were able to, I, I'm still disappointed that they lost, but they were able to put up a really good fight. And I think some people thought they would get rolled over and they definitely didn't. <laughs> and they, they were a little bit of a thorn in the side for Golden State, which ended up leaking over to their round against Los Angeles a little bit. So I was really happy with how they performed. And I think that it's a really, obviously, excellent season to build on top of. And they can hopefully go deeper next year because they're just a franchise that has been so cursed and deserves to have good playoff basketball over the next couple of years. Yeah, they're a young team too, so they got a very bright future ahead of them. Yeah, they did get a tough draw against the Warriors. I remember I had Golden State in six, but they were able to push him to seven games and it took a 50 bomb from from Steph to take down the team. No, yeah, that 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 was that's a performance that's one of my favorite from him. And I've seen that man in a plethora of different mediums. Um, that that was an awesome, awesome thing. But um, it just goes to show, I think their biggest win was I know I always knew De'Aaron Fox was good. I knew he was good out of Kentucky. I've always been a fan of Sabonis in Indiana. I just think that their biggest win Malik. in recent years was not even Malik because he's a, he. That's what you get from him. That spark plug. It's Mike Brown's hire. I I, I know Mike Brown better than any other fan in the NBA, unless you're a Warriors fan. That guy was awesome as an assistant coach under Kerr. 
um, he had the defensive responsibilities that Kerr didn't have to deal with, and that's what he piggybacked, and that's what he took to the Sacramento series. That's that's why I was mad we lost him because our defense literally plummeted this season. We had to deal with Kenny Atkinson, who was getting looked at for other jobs in the league. Like that guy's a bum. Okay, <laughs> respectfully, Kenny. Come on, Kenny. But I think Mike Brown for Sacramento is creating a culture and you know in uh, erecting the beam like. Like they're they're creating something over in the uh, Sacramento that's extremely healthy, and uh, like Grace said, like I think every NBA fan has has said, no matter who you root for, they deserve this. They they've been shafted mm-hmm. for the past I don't even know how many years, decades, like, half a century almost. Years. Yeah, yeah. Like- so it's crazy. Like they should have went to the finals back when they versed LA. What was it? Oh four, oh three, oh two. Oh two, yeah. Um, and this team deserves a bright future, and I think. They're in the perfect contract situation, perfect age situation, perfect era to do what they have to do. And Sacramento is going to be an extremely dangerous team for years to come. Like, I, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But this time, we got we got the win. But I obviously I'm very disappointed what happened next round. Yeah, speaking of uh, that next round, the Lakers are another team that thoroughly surprised me. I remember I had Memphis winning in seven against the Lakers, but the LA took it to Memphis. They really Put a state. They really had that statement game one victory where they outscored Memphis by I think sixteen in the fourth quarter, due to a Rui Hachimura masterclass. And then in two games in LA, I think they both like one was by thirty, one was by forty. Yeah, bet, they, they went deep in the bench for their the reserves. Yeah, and Jaw was hurt for this for a decent amount of the series. But even if he wasn't hurt, I, I don't think they stood a chance. I mean, game two was without Jaw, and the Grizzlies won handily. Mm-hmm. So this is, and the thing is, like, I would say, like to say, I'm surprised by LA, but a lot of people, not me included, thought LA could be a t- a dark horse contender. Obviously, when you have LeBron James and a healthy Anthony Davis, anything is possible. They just won the title three years ago, and they're one of the best teams in the league after the trade deadline, after acquiring guys like D'Angelo Russell, who was a huge disappointment in the conference finals and guys like Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Um, the emergence of Austin Reeves obviously helped them in trading for Rui Hachimura, but LA did they, they surprised. I mean, they went to the conference finals as a seven seed granted. They got swept by Denver, but this is a successful season, but the pressure is on LA to win next year because with LeBron James hinting at retirement, you only have such a, you only have such a big window to contend. Yeah, I just think that LeBron isn't going to retire, but next year is definitely his last year. I think he's made it quite vocal in every single interview, every single thing regarding his son, that he wants to play with him as soon as he enters the league. And his contract has a player option where he can decline and just sign wherever his son is. So, and if, you know, you look at the numbers, he's going to play probably one season at USC, um, depending on how well he does. And then he's just going to go full NBA. And as an organization, you might feel obligated, even if like you're, you know, I don't want to say somewhat poverty, but you might feel obligated to take on a Bronny with a draft pick, not only because he is a skillful player, but you're going to bring LeBron in guaranteed and you're going to put butts in seats. And that might be an organizational financial decision you make. So LA is going to be full frontal game. And I think their team is really good. Uh, They really changed around the trade deadline, becoming one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, being very lengthy, being Bill uh D'Lo, Vanderbilt, the list goes on, but they still need somebody to bail out LeBron and AD once in a while because they both can't do it simultaneously anymore. It's either one or the other, one or the other, and those games are always close. And we saw that in Denver. Hell, we saw it again uh two games in Golden State. So 
it's really, really difficult for them. Um, obviously, people are like, oh, yeah, the Kyrie sweepstakes, whatever. I, I don't know if Kyrie's going to come, but if he does come, if he, if he does come, that'd be kind of a wild scene in LA. Um, but I think um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do nothing in the offseason and the result is somewhat the same. And it, that's tough because I always want, I want LeBron to go out on top in LA because wherever he goes after next year, it's going to be just like a, a fun time. It's like, it doesn't even matter. He's not going to compete anywhere else after the next year. So we'll see how it goes for LA. If I'm a team that's in position to draft Bronny, I'm not drafting Bronny just because I get like two years of LeBron. One year of LeBron, not even one two. Year. Yeah, no, yeah, he, so, he, he said LeBron. one year, yeah. I can't, like, you can't do that, like, unless your team is really only concerned about making money and not succeeding as a franchise. But we're, I'm interested to see, I, I mean, a lot of consensus had Brody going to OSU, but obviously the family's based in Los Angeles now, so it makes sense that he is, he's going to USC. But I'm really interested to see how he plays at that level, because... That's a pretty decent basketball conference, and it's a good. Yeah, there's a lot of competition, and um, what is it the Pac-12? Pac-12, like Oregon's got a good team. UCLA obviously consistently mm-hmm. has a good basketball team. So, you know, Bronny kind of um, he was he was rated a four star for a long time, and a four star is a good player, and then late. In his season, he flipped to a five star. I don't know how that happened. Um, I I really don't know, but I'm I'm interested to see. Obviously, he declared his school so late, but I'm really interested to see how he's he performs at the college level because you know college is different than high school. So if his oh, game gets diminished, it mm-hmm. it might look like it's he's underperforming. But you know, college, you know. It's different. Yeah. It's just Pac- your Pac-12 ain't different. a pushover conference for sure. No, it's not. Yeah. No, no, one hundred percent not. And did you see that thing that Bam said about scouting? Bam as in Bam at a bio or Bam? Yeah, as in yeah. Oh, Bam uh, at a no, bio. I'm so unfamiliar with that. Did not. Neither of you saw it. So he no. said that like what. I wanted scouts to like, basically I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, I wanted scouts to look at my high school film because you can see my entire skill set. When I, when, when you go to college, you're kind of put into this system and it, and your skills almost get pushed into like succeeding for the team. And it, so it's a little bit different. So I'm interested to see if Bronny will downgrade in a sense in college because it's he's going to be in a different type of system but i don't know i i'll try and find the quote and i'll send it to you guys but i thought it was really interesting because obviously in the nba it's different than nfl where your development process is a bit earlier so your high school film holds more weight so um i i think he's in a good position at usc and I don't know whether he's going to like super star shine like someone like Brandon Miller has this year, but um, we'll see what happens. So, before we go into the rest of the West and the East, I do want to mention Bronny. I think he would make a good transition because his play style is very adaptable to a team mm-hmm. two way, I mean, three and D player. Like he, he he's becoming like a Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart type of player when you see his tape. Honestly, he could probably be a better shooter because Bronny is a, a he's a knockdown three point shooter. Yeah, they like, use him to catch and shoot in Sierra Canyon, which is like in college, it should just work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I I I want to like I feel like his game can either really really exceed when he um 
gets to USC and he's going to fit really well in the system or it could diminish, you know, but um, I just thought it was interesting what Bam said that, that they should be looking at high school uh, tape the most when evaluating. So thought that was interesting. Yeah. We could definitely cover that another time. Cause I think that is a, an appropriate point. He's not wrong. Definitely. But anyway, besides this, we'll go into the second round. Some of the woes of our favorite teams, but let's move over to the Eastern conference. Uh, ben, was there any other teams, players, individuals that you're like, hey, um, what was going on over here? I mean, we could talk all about Milwaukee. I don't. I don't want to get into Milwaukee that much because we know what happened with them. Giannis was playing hurt. Uh, Budenholzer was dealing with the death of his brother, and Miami is not a normal eight seed. This team literally was a a Jimmy Butler pull three pointer away from going to the finals last year, and they just went to the finals again three years ago in the bubble. So this team is battle tested. I can't even like. Say this is this is obviously a huge upset because it's an eight versus a one seed. We don't see that very often, but a lot of these games were pretty close. And um, I know games th- game one was relatively close. Game four and five were extremely close. There were two blown leads from Milwaukee, and that was really th- their downfall. After game after the game four loss, it was kind of over from then when they blew a fifteen point lead in the fourth quarter. And and then they proceeded to blow a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter of Game Five. So Milwaukee obviously disappointed, but honestly, my biggest one of my biggest disappointments, and probably my biggest disappointment in this whole playoffs, I had such high hopes for the 76ers. This was their their best team since 2019 when they had Butler and Ben Simmons. Yeah, better Tobias Harris. This Sixers team was good. They absolutely mollywopped the Nets in the first round. And then they had a three. They took a three-two lead over the Celtics, and headed to Game Six, where one went away from their first conference final since two thousand one. And they held a, fir- a fourth-quarter lead. And Jason Tatum, who who had one field goal at the time, was like one for thirteen or something like that. It four threes went off. He went off five minutes, and Philly just couldn't recover. And that's and that's purely on. Coaching, Doc Rivers couldn't make the adjustments, and um, also the stars were also blamed for um, for the series loss. Their, mo- their con- most consistent players this series were Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. Harden had his explosion games. Obviously, he dropped forty five points in the in the game one victory in Boston, forty two in the game four victory in Philly. But aside from that, he didn't have over twenty points in either of the next. Um, and needed the other uh, five games. I think he averaged like four, like 12, 13 points in those five. And Joel Embiid, I mean, what can you say about him? This guy has been a playoff disappointment his whole career, it seems like. He's an elite regular season player. He won MVP this year, averaged 31 points a game. And that number plummeted to 23 in the playoffs. And an interesting thing I saw... Um, the biggest um, drop-offs in points per games from... Uh, scoring champions in NBA history. They're both by Joel Embiid this year and last year. They were both eight-point drop-offs. And Embiid was getting bodied by the corpse of Al Horford. <laughs> like, he locked him up. It was crazy to see. It wasn't even Robert Williams. It was Horford that was giving Embiid the business. Absolutely. And that's when... And we saw in Game 7, yeah, Embiid just wasn't... just. He was just bad. I think him and Harden combined for like 20 points on 20% shooting. 
And that's what, and the third quarter of Doom and Game Seven is what killed them. I think Philly, I think the Celtics won like a thirty to five run, something like that. Yeah, because the game was close for the first half, and then the third quarter just blew everything open. But Philly is a team that thoroughly disappointed me. I could also talk about Cleveland because although I did pick the Knicks to win the series in six, and they ended up winning in five, it seems like Cleveland just didn't have a chance. Like they. Like the the game two victory gave some hope, but besides that, they got absolutely bodied by the Knicks. Yeah, I think it was an underperformance from Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and the rest of the supporting cast. Donovan truly just did not have help in that in that series. Donovan and, didn't even play well. That's the thing. Donovan yeah. smoked game four. Yeah, I just think also a big um, story behind this playoffs in general is a lot of teams had that one or two players that just really underperformed, and every team had those two two to three guys, one to two guys. And it's sad because for some teams, mine included, it was guys that we looked forward to turning up. We needed to turn up. And that's what led to, you know, our demise and our fall in these playoffs, you know. Um, I'm sure you can attest Ben and Grace, like Julius Randle was big. Julius Randle and Emmanuel yeah. quickly sold. Big needed quickly, in those playoffs, you know. Yeah, quickly and Randle. Quickly, I mean, we had less yeah. expectations, I think, because it, it's quickly he's – um. He's a good player, but and he played really well in the back half of the season. But I I had higher expectations for Randall. Obviously, he's supposed supposed to be like obviously he's the all star of the team. All NBA, yeah, all NBA. Two good games against Miami and getting their wins, but I can't get over Game Six. He was horrible. Yeah, I I was terrible in Game Six, but at least for the playoffs, besides Games One and Two against Cleveland, he was amazing yeah i i think that um to me the most interesting thing that has happened on the eastern side specifically is the home court teams didn't really seem to care because if you had home court you tended to be losing um which was really weird i mean we saw boston most recently against miami like lose in the first beginning games of the series philly we saw it happen with Miami in in the back half of that Boston series. Um, we saw the Knicks lose game one versus Miami. Like home, no one could hold serve at home, and it was really interesting because this is such a big advantage. Obviously, the crowd is such a big impact on on your succeeding to play, and so many series we saw. I felt like we saw a lot of series go to to six and seven because. No one could hold it home, and it, it was impressive by road teams. But I, I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, "What happened to these home teams that were right out of the box, getting punched in the mouth in game one and game two? The thing so, about it, though, Grace, to reinforce your point, uh, I think there's a common denominator with those home teams, and it's the Miami Heat. I think the Miami Heat are a team that just doesn't <laughs> care where they play. No, they and, don't. Get- and the thing about it is. The type of play style they do, it takes the air out of a building, mm-hmm. right? They, they'll have they'll 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 make you make a demoralizing turnover, a dunk That's on your face, a, 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 a mid range shot in your mouth, a bam dunk. Their type of plays and play style and overall demeanor are very, you know, uh, soul snatching. And and even even for a, a legendary venue as MSG or even TD Garden in Boston, which is an amazing venue to play in. Um, like it, their type of play is just like take the wind out of your sails, and I think that's just how Miami does it. And it, they've been doing it the entire playoffs, and they're just one of those teams that just does not care. Like, uh, like they just do what they do. Oh, doesn't care. 
Yeah, that's what killed the Knicks series. The first two games, Miami shot out of their minds. Oh, they yeah. were not even missing. Game, even game, game six, uh, game six and four in Miami, they also like the Knicks would cut it to within six. Especially mm-hmm. in game four, they would also cut it to within six. And then Max Struess or Gabe Vincent or Caleb Martin or who we could talk about later, or Duncan Robinson. Just hits like a dagger, and that's exactly. what that's what it was. It was dagger after dagger, and it was like, what is going on? Because we saw that in Boston reason. too. In games in Game Seven in Boston, they would cut the Celtics would cut the win ten, and then Kayla Martin would just hit hit a, a yeah. fadeaway or a three. Yeah, so it, it was pain. But I I also like both like uh, Philly lost two games at home. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Philly it's lost like, two games at home. Cleveland lost two games at home. Boston yeah, lost two it, games it was, at home. Boston lost three. Surprising to me. I was like, I, I just, I don't want to say home court. It's they almost acted it, like it didn't have enough of an impact for them, you know, or like it, it just didn't make that much of a difference, which I was surprised about. So. Yeah, I, I think the the general demeanor and and story behind home court over the years is somewhat dwindling because I, I watched the Dream on Green podcast and it's been going on since ever, right? And he made a point that in some games, the real fans that really, you know, make it home court get priced out in, in, in playoff games. And I think that's a valid point where it's like the only guys yeah. buying tickets to these games are like highfalutin upper class people that you know, are just there just to flex the fact that they can buy a ticket. And the real fans, yeah. the ones that scream out like the Marta Rosen's daughter, they're, they're priced out and they can't really make home court home court. And I think that's a pretty valid point, especially in Boston. Like my friend tried to get tickets to any game this playoffs and he just could not land one. And it's because the prices are insane. And I think, you know, home court as a whole in the NBA, at least in the playoffs, it's, it's very hard to make your home court efficient because your prices are insane, you know. Yeah, that is a that is a great point that I didn't think of, but I'm not sure that Im- like how much does that impact a place like New York where oh, yeah, no, yeah. it already costs so much to live there that so many of the people who attend Knicks games on a daily basis are already rich. <laughs> and they're already diehard fans. Like Knicks fans, like no matter where you go in the city, they're gonna be diehard. It doesn't matter it's if they're true. it's rich true. Or and, less fortunate. Yeah, I mean we're like regular working class. Me and Ben, obviously, we're regular working class, like Knicks fans. So for yeah. us, yeah, it sucks. But <laughs> but the uh, there's so many Knicks fans that are rich too, living on the Upper East Side in their penthouses and yeah, all. That. They they walk to MSG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a great point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think I think Draymond nailed it on the head with that because he compared uh, his games in Sacramento game seven on why Steph could have turned up and the team figured it out is because the, the aura in that building, even though it was Sacktown home court and Beantown, was that like it wasn't the same aura as the, the first two games they had. And he and he believed that Sacramento priced out the clientele for game seven, giving them at least the slightest leeway. The shouts weren't that loud. The claps weren't that sounding. And I think that's a big point for a lot of teams. Obviously, I think Knicks is, are an, is an outlier because I think you also reinforce an awesome point, Grace. Like, Knicks, Knicks, awesome. fans, yeah, Knicks, team Knicks, team. Knicks fans are always going to buy tickets regardless. But like like a, like a Philadelphia, that could be that could be a, a reason behind it. Some Some stints in Boston, who knows? But I do know one thing, though. Is that uh all all the teams that lost they lost for a reason, 
they're, they're every every team had their big faults and their opposition took advantage of their faults. Um, I think a big a disadvantage for Boston though is um, I forget who what superstar or coach made made a point. It was a retired gentleman on like Sports Center, but he said that like Boston's play is dictated on talent and talent alone, meaning that they rely so heavily on the shot creation of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. If they don't perform, they don't really have sets. They don't really have. Uh, a sort of play style. It's kind of just like give the ball to these guys. They'll find somebody, maybe like a Derek White on the top of the key, Al Horford in the corner, of Marcus. Shout out to Derek White. To Derek White, you know, Mister Megamind himself. But I think that's that's Aww. one of big, you know, Boston's woes. Is yeah, that- yeah. I like about Boston a little more actually because yeah. this is since 2017 they've been in the conference finals. I think. This is their fifth year in the conference finals since 2017. They've been there a lot. They've been and they've only made the finals once. And something, and obviously something had to change. Last year, um, Boston, um, no, two years ago, Boston got lost in the first round, and then Brad Stevens got canned. And then they eventually hired Ime, who took them to the finals and almost knocked off the Warriors last year. This year... Joe Missoula, obviously Ime had his own off-court issues, and they hire him and they promote Missoula. And Missoula doesn't know what he's doing. It's clear he looks like an idiot on the sidelines. You could tell by his fit. Also, he doesn't look. He doesn't know what he's doing. And Boston just couldn't make the adjustments, especially in Game Seven, to win. Like they shot so many threes, and nothing would go down. He couldn't make an adjustment. They couldn't make an adjustment on defense. And a lot of it's to blame on the coach, but there should be a time where the players should start being blamed too. And Boston's at a real crossroads this this um, offseason because it's another year without going to the finals with a team that I think in the beginning of the year was favored to win it all. I think they had the highest odds to win it all at the beginning of the year and at the beginning of the postseason. Because obviously when you have Jay- Jason Tatum who made all-NBA first team and Jalen Brown who made all-NBA second team, and and a former defensive player in the year and Marcus Smart, one of, probably in my opinion, probably the third best bench player in the league. And uh, Derek White, you have Al Horford and T- Robert Williams still controlling the paint. Um, there's been that same core for a little bit, and nothing's really changed. So I feel like something has to change in Boston soon enough. And I think that I think Jalen Brown might be someone who gets the boot because. I'm assuming you guys all watched Game Seven. Jalen Brown was terrible. Yeah, I mean he, he, he scored 19 points, but it was an inefficient 19, and he he had eight turnovers. By that, that was killer. He he couldn't dribble left. Like yeah. as fundamentals, he couldn't dribble left. Every time he did that, he turned it over. And they had like the on-ball steals on him too. Like it wasn't like passing into a clogged lane. Like it was just like Jimmy like picking his pocket when he's going right. And it's like yeah, that's so demoralizing for the player, for the team, like for for and it's and it's so fueling for the opposition to get like on-ball steal. It's like one yeah. of the rarest you know turnover types in the league, where it's just like straight up, I snatch your pocket, take your cookies, right? And it's like that just happened at play after play, and it was just like. Oh man, like I feel for Jalen Brown. I love him as an athlete, love him as an activist and stuff like that. But there also might be a growing trend where like if he doesn't get the Supermax, like he just generally doesn't want to play for Boston anymore. Like maybe Yeah, it, it's been kind of clear that he's been indecisive about when he want if he wants to be in Boston. He was kind of giving like he was kind of giving some vague answers when they asked about the extension. He would he could have said I would love to, I want to be a Celtic for life and I bleed green and some cliche thing like that, but he was non-committal about staying in Boston. And, and if you're the Celtics, if you're Brad Stevens, 
how are you re- do you really want to run back the same core and have almost what is it like like 600 million dollars allocated to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and not really build much of a team around them or do you want to maybe package a Brown and try to get some more supporting pieces back along with some draft picks because Jalen Brown made all NBA second team this year he's he's no joke he's an all he's an amazing player and you can get a lot back for him so if you're Boston, do you want to maybe look to trade him this offseason if you can't re- if you can't um, come to an agreement with him because he's got one year left on his contract and you the last thing you want to do is let Brown walk for nothing in 2024. Yeah. So where do you trade him? Do you trade him to maybe you trade him to Houston and try to get like the fourth overall pick and a bu- and some players like some supporting players from Houston? Do you trade him to New York and try to get someone back from them? Um, or do you trade him maybe elsewhere? Maybe you trade him to Portland for the third pick. Who knows? But Boston has to make a change this year because the East is still going to be the East. Milwaukee's going to come back hungry after getting embarrassed in round one. Miami's obviously going to be elite behind Coach Spo and Jimmy and the gang. The Knicks are looking like they're going to be a better team next year. Um so Boston has some competition. We're gonna have to, we have to see what the happens with them in the offseason. Yeah, I, I think that Ty made a great point about Missoula. Um, he relied so much on the creativity of of, Tate, of Tatum and uh, Brown and rather than having a, like you said, a set plan to fall back on. And I think that the clear differential wasn't necessarily talent between the two teams in this series, but the coaching. Spolstra was so excellent. He had such a good plan for this team. Imagine like just going up 3-0 and then falling back to even and having to win in, a, once again, at, at Boston at home doesn't yeah. matter. Um, environments. It, it was it was he just was so in control. It was it was so impressive to watch when someone is just like, I don't care about the situation I'm in, or if it favors me or not. I'm gonna do what I need to do to get this done, and that's what Spolstra and the Heat did. So, Missoula, I don't know. I mean. I I really don't think he helped the team in any way, especially in Game 7. And I agree with you that a lot of the blame is to fall on his lack of, I guess, preparation for the team. But also Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, even though Tatum was like a little bit injured in the, in the last game, yeah. the blame has to somewhat fall on them. And... You know, I think Jalen Brown is probably going to have to shake that performance for the first couple (laughs) months of next season um, because that was pretty rough to watch. Um, I mean, this this is game seven at home. It's like you needed to win and and they kind of just did not perform at all. So I, I if I'm Boston, I would like to trade Jalen Brown because I would like to get assets back. It's a good time to trade him. It's actually a perfect time to trade him. Um, 
because he still has that one year left, he can give a team... Like, if I'm a team trading for Brown, obviously you want to sign him. Uh, you want to trade and then sign him. That's what you do. You don't want him for one year. He's proven to not just be, like, a rental player. Yeah. Um, But, bought, like, I think it's a great time for Boston to reset. Because, like you said, Ty, um, this core as good as it looks on paper, has not been able to perform. And whether that's a combination of coaching or underperformance of the players in the playoffs, something needs to happen because they cannot maintain this same group with Missoula and expect to get better results next year because I don't think it's going to happen. So trading Brown... And getting a reset from that, whether it's a really high pick, whether it's a combination of players and mid-round first picks, like with Knicks, obviously we don't have a first-round pick this year. Thank you, Dallas. <laughs> um, it, it would probably be, you know, Grimes and a combination of guys, which would I hope it's not. But <laughs> I would um, love to trade Randall for him. That would be awesome. Yeah. Randall would obviously, most Knicks fans would like to trade him after his underperformance. But, um, you know, I think depending on the team, like Portland would be really interesting. But third pick, you're in a really good position to get one of those top guys. Um, obviously, you're not getting Wemby, but you're getting someone else. So I think, I think to me, Boston has to, um, has to make some sort of, change to the core but obviously jason tatum is your guy he is the cornerstone of the success of that franchise and ultimately he underperformed even though he's a really good player um and you know i mean health was kind of a question mark but i mean at what point do you have to like be 110 percent to to help your team win you know it's like i don't know but it seemed like there was a lot of excuses after teams lost this year. Like, oh, X was hurt. Oh, X was sick. Oh, this person ended up having this. It's like, those are all valid, right? It's all like, okay, we all had something going on that impacted your performance in some way. But at some point, like, when do you just say, you have to hold yourself accountable? Yeah, I underperform. You know, no excuses to that. So... It was it was disappointing because that that seemed like a really it was a really entertaining team to watch. So, yeah. um, I definitely think there's going to be some repercussions from that. I just think that it, it's funny because I think there's this culture around trading Jalen Brown, but I think that might be the right move. But I do think they're going to offer him the supermax. Um, enough. <laughs> the, the, the thing is though, like I I think the Boston Celtics. People, people, I don't think understand that they're in such a, a win now state because a lot of their roster is so long tenured with them. Al Horford getting up there in age, Marcus Smart yeah. not being on the younger side of of twenty and pushing into his thirty, and it's like the rest of that team, like they have a nice filled out team. But Derek White's going to want money eventually. Marcus Smart might want an extension because he's in this weird place in his career where he's proven what he has to do. And mm -hmm. I think J.J. Redick made an awesome point yesterday saying, are the Celtics at their ceiling? And they might very well be, you know. And mm -hmm. and it's going to be a really, really interesting thing. And I saw these woes, you know, being a Warriors fan last year. But it, it, was, it was like this team relies so heavily on – I think creativity was a great word you brought in. And it was like the creativity and the flow of these awesome perennial superstars. 
But it's like that's just not going to work against set set plans, set game plans, right? And um, I, I think it's going to be really weird for Boston because if they do move on from Jalen Brown, I don't know what that does to Jason Tatum, what it does for his career. What does he want to do moving forward? That's his boy. That's his brother. They've been to very high steeps and very low lows together. And that's someone that you, when you move on from that, especially entering a prime or jumping around a prime, it's really weird because if you lose your guy, your second co-star is Marcus Smart and whatever person you draft, you know, and like, what do you do moving forward? And I know Brad Stevens is calling the shot over there, but I think uh, a big blunder was, I think Ime had them somewhat figured out. At least Ime yes. broke the seal. Ime held his players accountable. I mean, I remember... Yeah. In the middle of last season, when the Celtics were slumping after blowing like four 20 point leads in January, yeah. something like that, he called his player soft, and that's when everything turned around. I think yeah. it was actually after the the Knicks game, after they blew that 25 point lead and they lost off the buzzer beater, is when everything turned around. And Joe Mazzola just doesn't have that accountability factor, yeah. that he, which is why it, it may go even after the allegations. Yeah, I, I think that, like, I think, obviously, player coaches are really, it, like, they're obviously favored in the league. Absolutely. But I, they, there needs to be a balance between holding your players accountable for not performing at the level that you know that they can and being liked in the locker room. And Missoula appeared to not really be able to have that balance, you know? But he was thrown into a really tough situation because the team had made, obviously, the finals last year. Absolutely. They performed really well, and then he he unexpectedly had to take this jump. And, you know, I mean, when you get your opportunity, you should be able to hopefully be as prepared as possible. But he, he looked like he was a little bit overmatched this year in terms of yeah. coaching well. Yeah, and it's tough to come into a system like this that, like you said, made the finals, is established their successful brand of basketball. Hell, they were favorites, like Ben said, coming into the season. And you were gifted this team, you know, everybody would think, oh, how can you really, you know, F this up? He got pushed around a lot. I, I think I think it's the presence of him being inexperienced. Sure, he sat as an assistant coach to Ime and, you know, jumped around to what, Division three ball or Division two ball, whatever. But you know, I think there there is there is a balance, like you said, Grace. And he was so um, uh, um, about you know making sure the players are okay and stuff like that, and not realizing like, shoot, I got a game tomorrow at eight p.m. on TNT Sports. You know, like I, I it's I think it's 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 really you know a hard ball to juggle. And like a, a team like like Boston, you need a guy that could give you tough love. Like they're so talented that that could be a, a thing that holds you back as an individual. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm Jason Tatum. Like, I don't got to worry about what happens. Oh, I'm Jalen Brown. I don't got to worry about it. I'm Marcus smart. I'm, you know, I just came off a defensive player of the year year. Like I don't got to worry about what's happening, but I think it's bigger than that. I think you need a guy that, to, that needs to humble them. And he did it. Like Ben said, like after their little terrible January, he was like, these guys suck. You know, like it's the same thing that Coach K did to Jason Tatum. He said he called him, excuse my language, a sorry ass uh, St. Louis kid, and he proceeded to have one of the best games of his collegiate career. Like guys like that need some sort of tough love, and Missoula is the opposite of that. Yeah, I definitely think, like, because player oftentimes like the notion is that players, after signing like a big contract, kind of slack off a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the coach in that 
period is so important to making sure that the players are like continued to be held accountable because like you have to be able to find as a coach that competitive spirit that that player has even if they're in a situation where they find themselves comfortable from a financial perspective it's like how do you keep that competitive spirit and that drive to keep this player performing at the highest level they can rather than just kind of slacking off and and not caring because it's the regular season or they made their money um so finding a good coach in the NBA is hard (laughs) that's the conclusion of this offseason is like Oh my gosh, there's like two good coaches. <laughs> yeah, speaking of coaches, and this is where I'm going to kind of transition to the finals preview a little bit. Coach Spo and Mike and Michael Malone, the coaches of the Heat and the Nuggets respectively, are two of the longest tenure coaches in the league. Spo has been around for 15 years, Michael Malone's been around for 8 years. And especially from Malone, he could have been fired at any point in the last few years. He could have been fired after they after they got embarrassed and uh, after they got embarrassed by Phoenix in 2021, or gentlemen swept by the Warriors last year, but they kept him. And this is the best Nuggets team we've ever seen, and they got the one seed in the West, and now they're in the NBA Finals, and they've absolutely dominated the playoffs. They only have three losses throughout the entire postseason, and this shows that you just have to give coaches a little bit. Of t- Sometimes you have to give coaches a little bit of time mm-hmm. and eventually everything will come into place. And that's what we saw with Denver because honestly, I thought Denver would be a team that would lose in the second round because they would either get a tough bout with the Suns with KD and D book or the Clippers with a maybe healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But mm-hmm. Denver blocked out all the noise. Um, Nikola Jokic was called a playoff disappointment numerous times for for failing to get past the first and second round. But he blocked out the noise. Jamal Murray was elite, in mm-hmm. the, especially in the Lakers series. He was the best player in that series. Guys like Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, um, even guys like Antavis Caldwell-Pope, they, they stepped up, and that's the reason why Denver only has three losses in the playoffs, and they're in the finals. And... And honestly, if Denver disappointed again this year, I would expect Malone to be fired this year. But they kept the core together, and right now they are heavy favorites against the Miami Heat, who we can get to right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the Denver did a really good job, like you said, being patient with coaching, but also with Murray because of his injury troubles. He has just been tremendous this year, just like the catalyst of their success with with Jokic. He's just been so good. So I'm really, really happy to see Denver here. They're such an easy team to root for. So easy. It's so nice coming into a playoffs and being like, that's it. That's the team I'm watching. So I think majority of the country is probably going to be rooting for Denver. But, yeah, they've been a really entertaining team to watch. I don't know. Both these teams are just really likable. Obviously, the Heat have an insane story. And they're just like, like Tyler, you mentioned uh, DeMar DeRozan's daughter, actually, earlier. And I'm just thinking, like, what, what if she didn't have school that day against the Heat? I know. Close. It's like a whole butterfly effect. What if it she was, because Chicago lost by, thing like, six or seven, and they were up by like three with like two minutes mm-hmm. before the heat went on a tear. But what if she didn't have school that day? Who knows? Who knows? What, what, what if, what if Jimmy never 
Like, what if his tweaked ankle in the Knicks series was just a different ball game? You know, what if what if Giannis never went down? You know, what if what if what if uh you know Nikola Jokic was drafted forty second pick? You know, in a Taco Bell commercial. You know, who knows? I just think that what I do know is one thing though, and this is my big my big aha moment. I just think that. I am not going to count out Miami until this playoffs is done because the same narrative has been held throughout this playoffs. Oh, they're versus Milwaukee. Nah, I ain't worried about it. You know, things happen. Basketball happen, injuries happen, whatever, but they couldn't close out, whatever. Oh, the Knicks got it. The Knicks, the Knicks have a better no. record, whatever, 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 whatever. <laughs> that, boom. The big one was Boston. I was like, oh, it's Boston. They got to figure whatever. I know Denver's a complete team. I know Denver's incredibly well coached. I know Nikola Jokic is the best basketball player on the planet right now. Active, that is. I know that this is going to be Miami's biggest challenge, but, you know, this, this team, this culture they're creating, they're so hungry to prove that seeding is just a number and performance is, is the king of all kings. Yeah. I just think that this series is going to go longer than people expect, and it's going to be an absolute hardwood classic we are about to witness. Yeah, I think Denver I, still wins, but I think Miami takes them further than people expect. I think yeah. I the only reason, let me clarify, I'm rooting for Denver is because I'm a Knicks fan. And yeah, in, so my, in their yeah, composition of the team, if Miami was wearing like maybe like almost any other jersey, except for maybe like Boston or Philly. Um, I, I would be rooting for them because I, I, obviously Jimmy's tremendous. I love seeing the rise of these undrafted guys. Um, Spolster's so good. It's so hard not to root for them, but obviously Knicks fan, it was just history, years of rivalry. You can't root for this team. Bad blood. Yeah. But like the guy, I really, really like the guys on this team. They're, they're such an easy team roofer like you said tyler so yeah but i it's i really i agree with you i think it's going to be a really even series it should be really entertaining this is one of the most entertaining finals i think we're gonna have in a while like it's it's really evenly matched to me because miami is once you think they're down they're not down they get up off the mat it doesn't matter what happens and the thing is, I, I, did a, I did a dive deep on Denver and Miami's two meetings this year in the regular season, albeit mm-hmm. you can hold them whatever merit that they want. Denver won both. However, the games were astronomically yeah. close, and it took Jokic dropping 35-plus in each of those games mm-hmm. to even get those wins, right? Okay. And the thing about it is I think that's going to be the game plan going, and Spo understands that Nikola is an immense talent that you can't really stop. You only hope to contain, right? And yeah. there's very few players in this league that that's the case. So Bam's going to have his mouthful. However, yeah. I think the Miami supporting cast deals with the rest of the squad. Jamal Murray had terrible games against Miami. And I think that's the game plan going in here. I know Jokic is going to give me the business. That's what we call it in the industry. The business, right? That's what's going to happen. Jokic is going to give you what you got to get. However, if Miami can contain the rest of the supporting cast, the rest of the team, these games are going to be close. Also, we're forgetting, one, we're forgetting a big X factor. Tyler Hero is coming back for Game Three. Is he? Who dropped the thirty bomb on Denver in their first game this meeting? So if Miami can steal a game in the Mile High City, if when Hero comes back, it's gonna be big. Good. That's they got, good. That's the thing. Miami has to win a game in Denver. Yeah, of course. They have yeah, one of two games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, gonna, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But I think I think they steal Game Two. 
I think mean, game one, Denver wins. Everybody's like, oh, Denver got it. And then Miami takes game two. Everybody's like, wait a minute. We what were do we just have? talking about how home court, Miami doesn't really seem to care. They don't care. They don't care because their play style just demoralizes teams and their fan bases within those venues. Like yeah. the soul snatching steals, the rim racking dunks, the whole demeanor. Hell, Duncan Robinson cutting to the basket with a layup, putting his hand to his ear like Hulk Hogan in 86. Like these guys mean business. Yeah. They got the swagger. Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, all these undrafted guys. Yeah. I, th- I, I think this is also – go ahead, Grace. Sorry. Jimmy, Jimmy is just – he's been the guy this entire playoffs. Just this, He's been really the main storyline of really both conferences. I don't – like – even though people talked about LeBron, they talked about whatever Jaws, various things in this in the West, but like Jimmy has been the guy. He's been putting on the performances. He backed up his talk from last season with his performance in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. He said it, and and he followed through on his word. There's literally nothing more badass than that. It's so good. Take us to the finals before the season even started. Yeah, and yeah. and he it's said, so and he chose not to touch the 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 conference final trophy because he was like, "I'll hold the next one." And that's I was so like, that's so awesome. I, God. I, I just think that it's gonna be. This is what the NBA needed. I, I, there was like this narrative push of like the script, like oh, we're gonna have L.A., Boston, or all this other yeah. bull crap. Denver and Miami, as it stands right now, you know, excluding the woes of you know like Golden State or Milwaukee, whatever, like teams that are also fun to watch and enjoyable. These two teams are what basketball is all about. Every I, aspect of every part of the game, both teams do very well. There's shooting on both teams. There's dunking on both teams. There's playmaking. There's ball movement. There's defense. These both teams are an, an embodiment of what Adam Silver wants the league to look like. And I mm-hmm. think we're going to get an absolute great series ahead of us. No one's going to be, you know, outplayed in certain aspects because it's like, oh, this, 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 that. And, and you have two insane teams that were built. They were bred. They were grown up together. Mm-hmm. Low picks, undrafted players. This just goes to show that sometimes looking in the right place at the right time, you can breed immense talent in this league. Yeah, that's awesome. That's That's what I like about these two teams is like so much. I was telling you this, Tyler. People, the Detroit fans were in shambles after falling in the lottery. They got the number five pick. They were projected one of the top three teams to land on me. And the fans in the con- the Twitter comments were impressed. Oh I'm like, guys, you had two top five picks the past two years, and your team has not been able to perform. Yeah. That, at the end of the day, lies on your scouting department. Because look at what Miami is doing with several undrafted players. Nine out of 15 undrafted players, whatever it is. Like, uh, some crazy number like that. It's like, I know Wemenyana is a generational talent and he's going to be fantastic. And I understand being upset about that. But your team underperforming is like, it, it's, it's like you can't be, like you can't be mad. Like you had so many chances in the past two years to draft a really good player. And they did. They drafted good players. But it's like, 
it, it's all in the developmental and scouting process. Like you can, my point is like, you can still find players in the late rounds, even yeah, though absolutely. you don't have yeah. a top two pick. Like Miami is proving this to you. Denver is proving this to you with the but, best player in the NBA. You know? Other, yeah. Other teams are doing this. Look, even the Knicks are doing that. I mean, Knicks. you have Quentin Grimes and quickly. Quickly, that, Nick Bride, they're all really yeah. strong. Mitch was a second round pick. They're Forgot. all really strong players. So it comes with your scouting department. It comes with your player development department. And I don't want to hound anyone in Detroit. Like I, like we said, you have to be patient. Doing a pretty with these solid they got a solid. They got a solid young core. Yeah, they do. You have to be patient with these players. I was just so um, <laughs> frustrated with the Detroit fans. I'm like, guys, like you can't. You you literally just had back to back top five picks. Like you, you talk about to- anyway, Houston too, because Houston had um the worst record in the league in twenty twenty one and they had the chance to draft Cade at number one, but they failed at two. Yeah. Uh, they had the chance to move up and to draft Paolo in tw- um last year. They failed at three and drafted Jabari Smith. And this year they had, I think, the t- like a fourteen percent chance to go up, up to one and they dropped to four. Yeah. yeah. And so, but Houston has talent. They if they stay the course and develop those guys. Granted, I think Jalen Green's got to go because he's a glorified AAU player. And well, I think Houston, even though Udoka had so many off the court concerns, he's a perfect guy to get their crap together. Yeah, yeah, like isolating his off the court concerns. Him as a coach is really good. And I and Harden's going to come back to that team, and you might be able to start to see them turn it around because he's good, and I'm interested to see how he deals with Harden. And hey, maybe um, maybe they trade for Jalen Brown. Yes, yeah, you mentioned that. I think that would be really interesting. That would be a quick like 180 <laughs> flip from that team winning now. 20 games to yeah. being in contention. But yeah, I I these team this is this is the people's. NBA Finals. No, yeah. this is the people's NBA Finals. People yeah. love the big market teams. Like they, I know people wanted LA and Boston in the finals when they saw they're in the conference finals. But this is a real NBA fans finals. As a Knicks people fan, I did not want Los Angeles in the finals. Oh, I, I, I would hate it. You know how many people in Mass I live with that I would never hear the end of this from? Yeah. I, so yeah. this, even though it's Miami. They deserve it. They really they do, do deserve it. As an eight seed, hey, it's, it's reminiscent of the Knicks back in 99. It's a similar t- thing. They both snuck into the playoffs with a gritty core and um, no bullshit basketball, hard-nosed defense. And they both went to the finals, and they both played the top seed in the West. The Knicks lost. We'll see if the Heat can make history and change that. Yeah. I just, I just, I just think that regardless of the outcome of these finals, not only are certain players going to get the respect that they deserve finally, hint, hint, Jokic being like the quietest MVP double time yep. and yeah, quietest dominant player, but also the the aura of Eric Spro's uh, coaching. Uh, I have yet to find, at least, you know, you know we're, we're, we're good collected individuals, but like him getting the respect he deserves. Everybody's like, oh yeah, he had LeBron. Oh yeah, he had all these things. It takes, it takes a lot to coach some guys like that. And yeah. he's been yeah. to the finals. Um... Seven years out of the yeah, last yeah. thirteen, like, yeah. like, like he's gonna get the respect he deserves. Jimmy Butler finally getting some reps now because he's a guy that holds high merit for the playoffs. You know, he's a regular regular season player. He just goes through the motions, and then he's yeah. here because this is what sports are all about. It's the big ring. 
It's the championships. Yep. It's the Larry O'Brien, the Stanley it's Cup, elevated. the Lombardi, whatever, right? And we're also going to get respect for, like Grace said, scouting departments, certain players coming out. Because at the end of the day, there are 350 players in this league, okay? They're in this league for a reason. You know, this is like the zero 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 one percent whatever chance you make it into this league. A lot of people are talented, and there's some people that belong in certain circumstances and some people that don't. And at the end of the day, if you're a talented individual, someone's going to see you. And look at Gabe Vincent. You know, look at Max Struess coming out of the pole. These, you, know? you guys are going to get paid. Like, Gabe Vincent is a free agent. He's going to get paid. Yeah. Caleb, Mar- Caleb Martin is going to get a nice contract. I don't know for who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Detroit or Charlotte paying him a big contract or maybe a different team. Even like Bruce Brown is going to get a nice contract and he's a free agent this year. Yeah. I love this. I love the story of second round picks and undrafted guys getting the respect they deserve. But before we close off this episode, um, who do you guys think, who do you think is going to win this series? How many games and who's getting finals MVP? Miami and seven. I think, um, I do think I want it to be Denver, but I think it's going to be Miami and six and it's going to be Jimmy. I think it's going to be Denver and seven. I think it's going to be Jamal Murray gets finals MVP. No, I hope that happens. I really that hope would that be, that happens. would, that would be pretty cool. Him getting finals MVP, but I genuinely think it's gonna be Miami and seven. What's going to happen is Denver wins game one. Everybody's like, all right. You know, finally, the, the big bad bear is going to be finally put to rest. You know, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. But then Miami takes game two, and then everything gets really, really interesting. And then someone's going to put on a masterclass performance in game three. Miami goes up 2-1. Denver takes game four, and then after that, it's a spiel, spiel. And I think that we're going we're gonna to see an awesome playoffs. And we're going to see a healthy one, too. Like, we're going to see people play day in and day out. Like, no one's going to be out like that. Yeah. Out here is going to interweave himself back into the rotation. And it's going to be an absolute chess match between Spo and Malone. Yeah. Like, like oh, we're going to run floppy sets? Fine. We're going to just flood the zone on the top, you know, top of the key. You're like, what are you going to do there? You're going to move the ball? And you move the ball into Jokic, and then he gets into foul trouble, and then Jokic just goes on a tear, and then Jamal Murray has a master class game four. All I know is that I'm really excited as a sports fan. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a great NBA Finals and a great way to cap off one of the best playoffs I've seen in a minute, not going to lie. Yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Inventory. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be back with more consistent episodes now that it's summer. Um, Once again, I'm Ben Kuchipudi. I'm Tyler Grant, baby. And I'm Grace Hughes. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.